the San Francisco Experience podcast. Brought to you by Jim Herlihy. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley, California perspective for a global audience featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 19, Episode 16. Silicon Valley Bank Implodes. Talking with Alexander Yoakum with CFRA Research. Silicon Valley Bank, based in Santa Clara, California, was closed on Friday by the California regulators, and the FDIC was appointed the receiver. Silicon Valley Bank, the nation's 16th largest bank, had $175 billion in total deposits and $211 billion in total assets. A new bank was created to hold the deposits. There are two classes of deposits, insured and uninsured. The FDIC insured deposits up to $250,000, and those deposits will be accessible on Monday. But uninsured depositors will receive a receivership certificate rather than all of their money. As the defunct bank's assets are sold, payments will be made to the uninsured depositors. The amount of uninsured deposits as of December 2022, according to regulatory filings, was approximately 95%. Our guest today, Xander Yoakum, is a financial analyst with CFRA Research. He's been following Silicon Valley Bank for some time. Hello, Xander, and welcome to the show. Hello, Jim. Really appreciate you having me on today. My pleasure. And Xander, please take a moment to tell us about yourself. Absolutely. I grew up in the South, actually, in, in North Carolina. Out of college, I, um, I worked at a, a company where we helped investor relations teams. So every publicly traded company, they have an investor relations team that tries to basically sell themselves to investors and answer questions. Mm-hmm. And I worked for, like, as a consultant for them. Then uh, while I was doing that, I got my CFA. I then transferred to equity research. So now I value companies and write reports on them. And one of those companies is Silicon Valley Bank. My uh, main industry of coverage is regional banks. So that is, that is my specialty. Okay, very impressive. Well, Xander, what happened to Silicon Valley Bank? And its collapse was fast and total. So what happened? Yes, it was very fast. And it's interesting because the, uh, the street did not see it coming. And I think that's why it was so fast. And as you said, total. And that's because this year, most investors have been worried about credit quality. So the financial crisis was based off credit quality. People are defaulting on their loans. And that becomes a concern, obviously, for banks. But this was not a credit quality issue. They actually have pretty good credit quality. There was a few things at play here. The first thing is I think they were a little bit of a victim of their own success. If you look out over the last decade, they did extremely well. Mm -hmm. They grew much faster than the entire industry. They catered to private equity and venture capital, which has had a very good decade, really until 2022. Mm -hmm. So they grew very quickly. The problem is they got from these private equity and venture capital firms, they got a lot of money and they had to decide what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Typically, banks will use those 
funds and lend them out in loans. Mm -hmm. But the private equity and venture capital community, they tend to not need as many loans. So they're a little bit uniquely positioned where they had a lot more, they didn't, they had much far fewer loans than the typical bank. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing loans, they took that extra cash and they put it into securities. Mm -hmm. So into, let's say bonds and they're, they're considered safe. I mean, they're, they're, they're government backed, but they're safe from a credit quality perspective. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they're not necessarily safe. They can still fall like fall in price. So interest rates were very low for a very long time. Right. And the bank still wanted to get a return. So if they did short dated bonds, they would have gotten a very low return. Mm -hmm. So they decided to do a little bit longer dated bonds to get a little bit higher return, which worked great until the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates at the fastest rate in recent memory. Right. And that caused their bond portfolio to go negative. Mm -hmm. Now, typically, if a bond portfolio goes negative, it's not actually a big issue because you can just wait until the bond comes to maturity and you lose no money. Mm -hmm. The issue is if you start seeing deposit outflows. Mm -hmm. So because they cater to venture capitalists and private equity firms, last year was very bad for private equity venture capital. A lot of funding rounds, a lot of new cash was coming into the system. Yep. So all these companies were flush with cash. Mm -hmm. However, last year, they, that pretty much fell, fell off a cliff. Uh, IPOs fell off a cliff, funding rounds, everything fell off. So these companies just started spending through their accounts without adding new cash in their accounts. Mm -hmm. And eventually Silicon Valley had to, they didn't have enough cash on hand anymore to pay out people. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, that's when they had to sell part of their securities portfolio. At a loss? And that's where, at a, yes, at a massive loss, a $1.8 billion loss, mm -hmm. which is actually more than they made in all of 2022. Mm hmm so yeah, in one transaction, they basically lost a whole year's worth of, of profits. So yeah. when they sold that bond portfolio and had a $1.8 billion loss, how were they going to plug the hole of that $1.8 billion? Wasn't there going to be a new share? Didn't they want yes, to raise? Yeah, they, they, were, they were going to raise capital in, in, in a variety of ways to, to make up for that. It was honestly really bad timing because the same day they announced this, mm -hmm. Silvergate Capital a crypto-friendly bank declared that it is, it is going out of business. Mm -hmm. So I think the combination of that happening at the same time, um, a bank basically saying that they're running out of cash, really spooked investors. Mm -hmm. Now let's just come back to the business model of Silicon Valley Bank because of course, I was a banker here in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley for uh, for many years. And I remember the when Silicon Valley Bank first opened in 1983, their business model was really quite different. They would make loans to startup tech companies. Typically, the more established, the more conservative older banks would never lend money to early stage startup firms. Silicon Valley Bank was willing to take on that extra risk. And in compensation for that additional risk, not just not just their loan spread was their compensation. But in addition to that, they actually got warrants. They got equity kickers from some of these startup companies. And many of those companies were wildly successful. And so Silicon Valley Bank, it could be uh, at times could be hugely profitable when they cashed in those uh, those warrants, when these startup companies went public. Again, that was a different model than the established banks had. One of the other 
red lights, if you will, about Silicon Valley Bank was its over-concentration in the tech industry. Typically, most banks, now correct me if I'm wrong, typically most banks are going to have a fairly diversified portfolio of businesses that they work with. Could be manufacturing, agriculture, real estate, mining, forestry, but fairly diversified industries that they lend to. That was not the case with Silicon Valley Bank, right, Xander? Yes, 100% agree. And and I think the sort of surprising thing for some people might be, it is, as you said, the 16th largest bank in the U.S. So banks that are usually that concentrated in, in one industry would typically be much, much smaller. Like the uh, the Silvergate Capital I was talking about, mm-hmm. they're the 128th largest bank. At least mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is the 16th largest bank. So yes, definitely an oddity for a bank of that size to be so concentrated in one area. So the double whammy for Silicon Valley Bank was twofold. Number one, super concentrated in the high-tech industry, lack of diversification. That was it. It was the super concentrated in the high-tech industry and just not enough diversification in other industries so they could ride out a downturn in the high-tech industry. They just didn't have that fallback. Yes. The only two things I would add to that is they didn't technically have to invest that extra cash in long-dated securities. They wanted to make more money. And I think most CFOs at the time would have seen that as reasonable. Mm -hmm. But they do have a much larger securities portfolio than the typical bank. So looking back, it maybe was a little bit naive to think that rates would be low for forever. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of inevitable at some point the rates were go, would go up. They definitely went up more than people expected, but that would be maybe one thing I would mention. And then the other is you mentioned that a very few percent of their deposits are insured. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily their fault, but they do cater to to wealthy individuals because they're, you know, they're dealing with these venture capital firms, whereas the typical bank maybe would have maybe 30%, 40% of their deposits insured. For them, it's you know under 5%. So that's mm-hmm. a pretty significant difference. Now, let's come back to the venture capitalists, because the venture capitalists, of course, were a big concentration of the clients of Silicon Valley Bank. But wasn't it the same venture capitalists who were advising their portfolio companies to withdraw their money from Silicon Valley Bank last week? Yes. Fortunately, this was a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if a bank has bad credit, they do have to pay that out eventually. It's You can't really get away from that. But in this case, it was just securities portfolios that were underwater. So if people had just waited it out, they probably would have been okay. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I mean, they sort of caused the downfall of themselves by withdrawing money very quickly because they didn't have time to react. Now that the FDIC has stepped in, all the assets of Silicon Valley Bank have been transferred to this new bank. Is it is it still possible that some other bank would ride to the rescue and take over the the remains of Silicon Valley Bank, or is it too late? It is possible. I'm a little bit worried. Uh, you mentioned that they a little bit more risky than yes. other banks. A lot of banks wouldn't necessarily deal with those early stage companies. So there is concern that the there's only a few banks that are capable of, of buying a bank this large, right? 16th largest by assets. Mm-hmm. So really, we're just looking at the, the mega banks. And most of them are pretty risk averse, especially after the financial crisis. So it's definitely possible. And I think it would be a really good thing for the banking you know, just ecosystem. But I would not say it's inevitable that it will happen. 
but um, I definitely hope it does. Well, what happens if one of the big money center banks, Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, you know, the, the really major money center banks, what happens if all four or five of them just say, no, thank you. We're, we just don't like that risky business model of Silicon Valley Bank. We don't want to deal with early stage with early stage companies, early stage tech companies, what do you think? What options does the Treasury have? Does the Fed have to prevent the contagion that we're all afraid of? Because I want to come on to that. I experienced that earlier today myself. But what other options do, do our policy planners in the White House have to prevent contagion spilling over to other regional banks from the Silicon Valley Bank collapse? This will be interesting. I think it is pretty important that they uh, they prove to people that their money's not at risk. Mm-hmm. So they require to insure up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, they could do more. You know, the ideal scenario, whereas everybody would get one hundred percent of their money back. I guess that's unlikely. But they don't do anything, and they just kind of let it play out, where people just waiting in line and don't really know how much they're going to get back. That would probably cause contagion and risk. And mm-hmm. there are a few other banks that people were worried about last week. You could see in their stock prices dropping 30, 40, 50%. Well, one of those banks, of course, was First Republic Bank, which is also headquartered here in San Francisco. And as it happens, we have an account with we have an account with First Republic <laughs> Bank. It's within the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar limit. And so this morning I got up, I went through the files, I, I looked at the statement and I thought, you know what, let's just go over there and let's go to the bank and just reassure ourselves that everything is fine with the FDIC insurance and what have you. So we drive over to the branch, one of the, the First Republic branch here in San Francisco. And I have to say, after my many years in the financial services industry, I've never seen, at both here in the United States and overseas in Latin America, I've never seen a bank run. The closest I've ever seen to a bank run is that famous Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And I walked into First Republic Branch here in San Francisco this morning, and it was the scene out of It's a Wonderful Life. It was crowded. It was standing room only in the branch. All of the clients of that branch were there, and they were there to withdraw their money. The manager of the branch was somewhat exasperated. She was shouting out, trying to address the crowd, as, and they were all there to withdraw their money. So my first question to her was, have the regulators said that they're going to close First Republic Bank? She said no. So no contagion there. She also went on to say that only 4% of their depositors were venture capitalists. And then I asked her, I said, well, have you had a net outflow of deposits over the last couple of days? And she said, no. In fact, we've actually had a net inflow as a result of the chaos in Silicon Valley Bank. However, there has been, we didn't want all of that money from Silicon Valley Bank. So, so the point is, First Republic Bank is also a regional bank. And she she argued that because they were a regional bank, like Silicon Valley Bank is a regional bank, that, that they were kind of getting caught up in the mess of Silicon Valley Bank. Could you talk about the, the contagion, what could happen on Monday if we don't have a buyer and regional banks, other regional banks like First Republic, for instance, are what's going to happen to them? 
Unfortunately, like I was saying, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if everybody is worried about them, they, I mean, they could potentially have a similar fate, but I would say that there's some distinct differences. Distinction number one is Silicon Valley Bank had a very rough 2022. Like I was talking about, people were, were spending through their cash, deposits were really winding down before this even started. First Republic, their deposits hit an all-time high as of their last filing. Oh, So they were actually trending in the right direction before this, which actually for the banking industry last year was pretty rare. They were doing pretty well in terms of that. And then, yes, so much less exposed to industry. Uh, they don't have a single industry to represent more than 10% of their deposits. Mm-hmm. I would say less risk of a mass exodus from you know just w- one area. In terms of credit quality, they're also fantastic. They were one of the best performers during the financial crisis. In terms of like bad loans, it's actually incredible. They're like 10% the industry average mm-hmm. in terms of the percent of their loans that go bad. Silicon Valley's banks, you know, their biggest problem was that securities portfolio. Mm-hmm. So that was almost 60% of their entire assets. Mm. Whereas First Republic, it's only 15%. I see. So, so some, we're really talking about smaller numbers here. So some very different numbers as regards the financial statements and financial performance of the two banks. That's 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 good to know. But let's just come back to the political environment at this point, mm. because if we don't have a major bank that steps into buy Silicon Valley Bank, then it's it's going to turn into a political argument. And there's, uh, how do you think that might shape up? Because there's there's bound to be a lot of members of Congress who will come back and say, look, the management of Silicon Valley Bank was asleep at the switch. They should have been taking these measures incrementally over a long period of time rather than selling a gigantic portfolio of $20 billion of underperforming government bonds. So, you know, why should the American taxpayer bail out what appears to be incompetent management of Silicon Valley Bank? It'll be interesting. I I definitely think there might be um, more rules in terms of those securities portfolios. Typically, those were not viewed as risky before this. So there could be rules that come up, come from that, and then potentially concentration risk. So maybe banks will, will um, not be allowed to have above a certain percent of their portfolio with a certain industry. Mm-hmm. Didn't the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank actually lobby for a, a loosening of some of the Dodd-Frank regulations in 2018? Yeah, I think that... Uh, I'll definitely say the last last month has not been good to releasing regulation because any companies that were on the line have been getting punished the most. So, yeah, I don't think it's a good look for people that were mm-hmm. trying to say that banking was overregulated. Now, just coming on to the tech industry, I mean, the tech industry, of course, here in the Bay Area and you know, throughout the United States, but especially in the Bay Area, is a cornerstone of our economy. We were already going through some major layoffs with big tech employers, Apple, Google, Meta, among others. And now with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, you're going to have smaller startups that aren't able to access their deposits with the bank and with Silicon Valley Bank. And as a result, may not be able to make payroll, may not be able to make the kind of investments or the acquisitions that they had planned to do in 2023. Could you talk to us about, you know, some of the unintended economic ripples that might, that we 
that are maybe foreseeable from this collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, regardless of who actually takes it over. I'm talking about the broader economy, the broader tech economy, and the downturn in the tech industry that we've seen, particularly in 22 and seems to be continuing into 2023. I guess this is going to, this collapse is going to worsen that. Yeah, unfortunately, the FDIC uh, 250,000 is not very helpful if you're paying out employees because obviously your account is much larger. So yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, certain people did not get paid Friday. I think it could definitely, unfortunately, take down some uh, some smaller startups who who you know can't keep paying people for a period of time. Um, after for hours on Friday, so mm-hmm. when the market closed, regulatory filings started coming out, and banks were talking about their exposure to Silicon Valley Bank. And every company that that talked about a position, their their stock went down. So I definitely think people are concerned. The money will, you know, a large portion will be lost or, you know, it will not be accessible for a while. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, it could stifle innovation a little bit. If, if banks are not encouraged to fund these institutions, mm-hmm. then the cost of capital is going to be more expensive. So it'll just be more difficult to, to run a business more expensive. So I hate to say it, but it, it really could just, just make it more difficult to, to run a company like a startup. Xander, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, what are your closing thoughts for Silicon Valley Bank and for the tech industry as a whole? And what should we be watching for at opening of market on Monday? I've been, I've been somewhat negative, but uh, I would like to be clear that I think 99% of the banking industry should be fine. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very, it's, it's a niche company it's very specialized. So I think all the, the Wells Fargo's, the Bank of America's, the JP Morgan's, those banks should be fine. I do not think that this is an existential crisis for the banking industry. Cause it, again, it's not credit related. It's really just fear related. So I think that's important to note that I think the banking industry is, is, is sound. We were talking about regulation, but regulation is much higher than the financial crisis. So, and capital, capital levels are very strong. So in general, most banks are pretty well positioned. Mm-hmm. In terms of Monday, I actually think Sunday is pretty important as well. If there is a deal announcement, it's likely to come out. Like, so like if they do get acquired, it's likely to come out Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. So that would be something to watch. But if they don't and there's no, there's no updates that sound positive, it would be interesting to, to look at uh, banks like First Republic and Signature Bank, two banks that I think there's some concern about contagion. Mm-hmm. Whether it's valid or not, there clearly is concern. So those would be names I'd be looking at. But like I said, I'm a, pretty much all the, the big banks, I think, are going to be fine. Okay. Well, well, that's a that's a very positive development. Obviously, uh, there, there are several of there are a couple of regional banks out there that we need to keep an eye on. Stay close to the the Bloomberg and to financial news and yourself come Monday to sense of what's turned out to be a a, a kind of a black swan, right? Yes, and I think that's why it was such an issue. It just it wasn't what people were worried about until basically two days ago. Well, Xander, how can our listeners follow you? Yeah, so probably the best place for me would be on LinkedIn, just Alexander Yoakum on on LinkedIn. And that's spelled Y-O-K-U-M. Yes. Okay, very good. Well, Xander, we appreciate you taking time from your weekend to explain what happened to Silicon Valley Bank and where we go from here. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, Jim. My pleasure. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 381 as the San Francisco Experience marks its third year.
Our audience spans 65 countries, and you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, 19 podcast platforms in total, and make sure to subscribe. This has been the San Francisco Experience with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco.